right. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also 21stCenturyWire.com. And uh, I'm back. I'm here in studio with uh, Mike Robinson, editor of the UK Column. Hello, Mike. Evening, Patrick. And I'm very pleased, Mike. I'm going to introduce uh, our next guest, uh, the accomplished author uh, and great geopolitical analyst, uh, F. William Engdahl, is joining us on the live link. Uh, from the heart of Europe. Hello, William. Hello, Patrick. Good to be with you both. Great to be with you uh, uh, as well, William. And uh, we're there's a lot to talk about, but th- the main thing I want to talk about really is is your new book, uh, which we were plugging earlier, uh, which is called Manifest Destiny: Democracy as Cognitive Dissonance. Uh, a very very provocative title for your new book. There's a link on the show page. People can go and click through. And uh, this is material, William, that uh, I'm very familiar with, uh, obviously, uh, not just from following your work, uh, but these are things that uh, people in our end of the media universe are very interested in, which is these uh, soft power, or should I say smart power subterfuge, uh, which is being meted out by mainly by the United States. Just I'll, I'll, I'll hand it over to you, William, but, uh, you know, I think this is a really important book coming out right now, and, and I think it'll be the first of many books. There's a lot of people, William, right now that are really looking into this uh, after the string of color revolutions, after the Arab Spring. The timing right now of, of, of this sort of subject matter is really important because I, th- I think, in a way, William, I think that a lot of countries now are wise to this technique. Certainly Hungary comes to mind, Egypt comes to mind, all these countries, Russia they have kicked out a lot of these U.S. NGOs. But uh, go ahead and just uh, give us a little introduction of this this new book, William. The idea behind the book is to show the context of these color revolutions. They're not just something that uh, you throw a few dollars around in a place like Ukraine or in Russia in 1989-90 or something like that, and then you uh, have a few agents that make a revolution. The idea is to, this is a diabolically effective scheme that was created by the CIA director of uh, Ronald Reagan back in 1983, Bill Casey. And the idea was to do, as one of its founders said, uh, the National Endowment for Democracy, which is the cornerstone of of this whole fake democracy project, I call it. the idea behind it is to do what the CIA used to do in places like Iran in 1953 against Mossadegh or in Guatemala and other places, Pinochet and Chile, do it, but do it privately. So you have plausible deniability. Oh, the National Endowment for Democracy gave money to these human rights groups to educate people in principles of uh, democratic order and election, uh, poll watching and so forth. But they're just a private group. They just, you know, they just mean well. And in fact, what has been refined, and it's been refined with Twitter and Facebook, which, by the way, is, I'm sure you know, Patrick, were spin-offs of certain CIA, NSA intelligence projects. But the the use of social media, the use of uh, smartphones, or, or uh, Uh, GPS-guided protests in places like Tahrir Square in Egypt uh, have been devastatingly effective in bringing down governments and then bringing in 
more or less pawn governments that do what Washington tells them to, like Saakashvili in the Republic of Georgia back in uh, 2003 or uh, uh, Yanushenko in, in Ukraine 2004. So this is uh, to show not just the examples, but the idea that there's a continuum going from the early 80s to create a global, I don't know, a better word for it, a global uh, ordering that is uh, based on complete uh, vassal states uh, of all the all these countries that stand in the way of Washington's agenda for a globalized world order. And uh, in particular, I want to talk about about the Ukraine, William, because this seemed to me like the piece de la resistance of this move, of this this project or these series of projects, these series of color revolutions. I mean, the Arab Spring was was uh, quite a spectacle, but the Ukraine, what happened in February 2014, the overthrow of the Yanukovych government, the things that led up to that. Um, I think is is a real centerpiece of this strategy by the United States, uh, and so. Yeah. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, the in the case of Ukraine, at uh, the moment that uh, Yanukovych, the elected uh, president of Ukraine, made a decision not to go with the European Union associate membership. Uh, is a very bastardized kind of uh, affiliation with the EU, but instead to go with an offer that uh, Russia's Putin had made to join the Eurasian Economic Union, which, of course, makes more sense for uh, Ukraine historically and economically. It's Kiev Rus's uh, part of the soul of Russia historically. And the economies were so intermixed from the Soviet era. So the... Um, what happened is you had protests, uh, exactly what I described a few minutes ago. You had organized protests on uh, the central square in, in Kiev, and people were being bussed in, paid money, students were being paid money to do it. You had Victoria Newland, the Assistant Secretary of State, uh, uh, wife of Kagan, one of the top neocon ideologues, and she herself is a neocon, former ambassador to NATO, et cetera, et cetera. And she and the U.S. ambassador, Jeff Pyatt, in, in Kiev, micromanaged the thing together with these fake demonstrations. And then, as it came out later, the, the, the well, the founder, George Friedman, the founder of Stratfor, gave an interview to a Russian newspaper some months later where he said this was the most blatant coup d'etat in U.S. history. And uh, Newland even admitted at one point, I think the figure was something like $5 billion of U.S. taxpayer money went into bringing a gaggle of neo-Nazis. This is no exaggeration. These are neo-Nazis. They have swastikas tattooed on their uh, forearms. They have uh, uh, you know, symbols and so forth that are just a variation of the SS uh, insignia, and uh, they uh, follow the teachings of Stefan Bandera, who, who was a Nazi during the Ukrainian World War II period. So this was the gaggle that the U.S. brought in through this color revolution in Ukraine, 
and the the coup was finalized by hired mercenary sharpshooters brought in from Georgia, and this only leaked out recently because uh, two or three of the sharp sharpshooters uh, went public on this because they weren't paid the uh, thousands of dollars that they were promised for for killing police and demonstrators simultaneously to create total panic. And that's what led to the fleeing of the president and the uh, coup d'etat. It was a U.S. hand-picked government. They haven't done anything to bring peace or stability in Ukraine. Uh, the idea was simply to break the link between the European Union and Russia going through Ukraine with the natural gas pipelines and other connections. And uh, also point out, William, you probably already know this, but George Soros was very active uh, in the Ukraine, even even before you could say even before it uh, before the Soviet Union fell, even the Renaissance Foundation. And uh, yeah, they funded Ramanka TV and all these opposition media outlets, the U.S. Embassy, the Dutch Embassy, I believe the Dutch Embassy as well, possibly, um, if my memory serves me correctly. They're all throwing money into all of these opposition media outlets yeah. and then in the National Endowment for Democracy and the other organizations you mentioned. And this helped to create the groundswell of the revolution, as it were. So these things were yeah. not organic. Yeah, precisely. Go ahead. Not Nothing was, was organic. And... Uh uh, the fake media, what they did was bring people, uh, well, Soros began in 1989 when it was still part of the Soviet Union. So that was a pretty pretty bold move on his part with the Renaissance Foundation, as you mentioned, the Ukrainian branch of the Open Society Foundations. And then, and the National Endowment for Democracy as well. And they... Uh, created this this constant uh, drum roll and they brought uh, something called Otpor, the the uh, Gene Sharp who wrote a handbook uh, called Nonviolence non is a Method of Warfare, this kind of loosely based on uh, the Gandhi idea but, but creating uh, an inspiration for all these protesters and uh, Gene Sharp is totally tied into the Pentagon and his board of directors and his collaborators, Robert Helvey and others. So uh, they deployed all of this constantly just to maximize the chaos. They did the same thing in Russia, as I describe in great detail in the book, The Rape of Russia in 1990, that they brought in their NGOs to simply create chaos and bring uh, Boris Yeltsin into simply steal all the crown jewels of the Soviet's Russian Federation. Yeah, the Harvard boys. Yeah, that's uh, I, I saw this chapter as well. What, what I love about this book, William, is you have a glossary uh, at the end, which is a glossary of Washington regime change NGOs and is, is definitely a who's who, uh, a veritable rogues gallery of organizations, the National Endowment for Democracy, the International Republican Institute, which is John McCain's, uh, little tool yeah. there, and the National Democratic Institute, the Center for International uh, Private Enterprise, and uh, the list goes on. Freedom House, of course, Open Society Foundations, uh, USAID, the usual suspects, and the White Helmets are in yeah. there as well. Uh, international Crisis Group, they're interesting, William. What, who, who and what are the International Crisis Group, and what is their function in this? 
Well, this is again uh, money from Soros. It's uh, uh, these are what the ICG does is kind of uh, give the stamp of approval to say this government is corrupt and has to go, Venezuela, Maduro, or whoever it be, and then they issue one of these academic-sounding reports, and uh, at that point, the uh, the NGOs go into full full activation to you know to bring down the target government. So this is targeted coup d'etats is, is what you can call it, I think. Not regime change, but simply coup d'etats targeted under the name of democracy. All, all of this, it's, it's uh, to give credit where it's uh, due for this nefarious thing, it's, it's diabolically effective. Until, as, as you point out now, one after another, governments are slowly, but it's uh, much too slow in my view. Uh, Orban is one of the more sophisticated uh, political leaders, and I, I think he's doing some very positive things in Hungary, There's, therefore he's branded uh, a racist, a fascist, and, and so forth by the mainstream media, because he is doing something real against Soros and the uh, European University and so forth, and he's got tremendous popularity in the Hungarian people. This is something that isn't reported very often, but he uh, he doesn't make major steps without holding a referendum first and making sure he has the people behind him. But uh, most countries, China has wisened up in the uh, 10 years that I've been going back and forth to China and meeting with people and giving talks. Uh, now they're very savvy, uh, maybe partly through my books where I talk about, in a number of them, the role of the National Endowment for Democracy. They started during the Hong Kong Umbrella Revolution uh, several years ago, they named for the first time, why is the U.S. always making color revolutions? And they named the vice president of the NED who was in Hong Kong at the time of the Umbrella Revolution. And shortly after that, that thing shut down. Interesting. So this is an example of, of the growing sophistication, but as I say, it's, it's far from enough. It's... Uh, uh, but it's it's getting uh, countries are wisening up, and so and, and that's a there's, that would be a for a lot of Americans, William, that would be a controversial statement to say that uh, there was a there is mythology with the Tiananmen Square uh, event because that's held as kind of a sacrosanct uh, democracy pro democracy protest an iconic scene of the uh, the person being. Uh, stood down by the tank and so forth, the Chinese military putting down this democratic revolution in China. You you, you would talk yeah. about this a bit in your book, William, and that that is that's a controversial approach for a lot of Americans because people have just they've never questioned this narrative uh, and how this was broadcast well, media. Go ahead. Yeah, I I began to investigate an alternative. Tiananmen Square student uh, massacre never took place. Deng Xiaoping, who was then the supreme leader, as they call it in China, uh, ordered his People's Liberation Army units not to shoot students. He knew that that would uh, be catastrophic. The person who uh, micromanaged the color revolution attempt of the students was the CIA, former CIA buddy of uh, Father Bush, uh, uh, James E. Lilly, 
who was ambassador to Beijing and gave sanctuary to the student protesters, smuggled them out through an underground railroad that the U.S. Embassy ran and so forth, and uh, landed them cushy university appointments in Harvard, Princeton, good jobs, and so forth. But uh, the massacre of the student, first of all, the student protest was really a bizarre collection of completely unradical demands. They demanded that the government of China take them seriously. I mean, that, that's hardly something to go on hunger strike and give your life for. Uh, but that came out of the handbook of Gene Sharp, uh, his, his Albert Einstein Institution handbook. And uh, they played for the propaganda. But the even though the massacre never took place, Lilly instructed the Western media through various channels uh, to write as if it did, and several of the hand-picked organizers, student organizers, uh, gave interviews to the Western media. I saw 20 students uh, just shot down in cold blood by the People's Army, PLA. Uh, I, I saw X, Y, or Z, and so forth. And it later turned out in investigation that those particular students had, weren't even in Tiananmen Square when, when supposedly this happened. They, you know, they gave dates and so forth. Uh, so this was all fake news. This was, uh, and the reason for it, it was part of a coordinated move by the CIA, by the Pentagon, the State Department, uh, all under President Bush Sr., to bring down, simultaneously bring down Soviet Union, which they pretty much succeeded for a while until a decade later, uh, to bring down Yugoslavia, which was kind of a socialist middle way under Tito, and to bring down China, all three of those major places simultaneously. And uh, then you can understand this Tiananmen Square, and it didn't happen. And I, have, I document this in the book for people who are skeptical, and I, I was certainly skeptical when a Chinese student told me that, uh, 10 years ago. Just matter-of-factly, it never happened. And uh, then the more I researched, the more I investigated, uh, I found documentation. Columbia Journalism Review, which is hardly a radical publication, I would say, uh, a former Washington Post uh, feature writer was in Tiananmen Square on the day that the massacre should have happened. He said it never happened. There were protests of uh, workers from the countryside outside of Beijing that were threatening to get ugly, and a couple people got in bottle-throwing things with the, with the police and the PLA, and uh, there were some people killed there. But this massacre of students in Tiananmen Square never happened. They were allowed. They made a deal with the government to secretly leave uh, under cover of darkness. Mm. All organized through the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. James E. Lilly. Look him up. He's Skull and Bones, Yale University. Uh, you know, uh, good blue blood. Bosom buddy of Gerbert Walker Bush. Uh, the whole thing. Thirty years CIA. Yeah, good blue blood. Good, good, uh, good pedigree there. Very good pedigree. So, yeah. so, 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 really, what the bottom line uh, with? This strategy, William, is you know th this whole concept of democracy. We hear this 
constantly. So this is this is what I'm getting from your book is that this idea of democracy or America bringing democracy or bringing change doesn't have to be democracy anymore. It can just be change. Uh, but to bring this, it's not about the democracy. It's not about implementing uh, reforms as such, because in so few cases, uh, real reforms have ever been implemented in many of these uh, countries, including Egypt, by the way, um, not any yeah. real sweeping reforms. Is it, is it not, William, about just changing the leadership of the country? It's not about democracy? It's about Correct. Uh, in my view, I can't think of one instance where there's been genuine uh, participatory democracy encouraged by the United States as a result. The point uh, is we as a country have no business forcing democracy down the throat, no matter what name we give to it, or forcing regime change down the throat. If a country is waging war, we have rules under the United Nations Charter to deal with that in a, in a peaceful way or in, you know, the peacekeeping forces, uh, what will you, but, but not, uh, uh, not that we have the moral authority, certainly we don't have that anymore, to uh, force other countries to follow an American template. Uh, the remains of democracy in the United States today are looking pretty, pretty, uh, uh, battered and tattered, in, in my view. And uh, there are also these uh, NGOs active inside the United States, massively so, the Soros Foundation and others. And uh, this re this reminds me of a quote, um, by the way, and I, I do recommend people to go back and read uh, some of Zbigniew Brzezinski's writings, especially his, his, la his later books, William, um, uh, in the yes. recent years. But so he has a great quote here. This is from The Choice. Uh, a global domination or global leadership. This is by Zbigniew Brzezinski, 2004. And I'm just going to read this. This is a. He's got a lot of these brilliant one-liners in here, and uh, he says, he says so. You know, but but it's important not to lose sight of the basic lesson of history. Any just cause in the hands of fanatics will degenerate into its antithesis, and and so he's saying this is. Uh, you can look at the Spanish Inquisition, uh, from Christianity to the Spanish Inquisition, or from the French Revolution to the guillotine, and, it, and from Leninism to Stalinism, and he's talking about, this is, he's warning, this is the danger of the United States' fanatical zeal of democracy uh, um, promotion. He said that it can turn into the antithesis of democracy. That's Zbigniew Brzezinski yeah. in 2004. And uh, and he does yep. warn about this in in this book, uh, William. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to give an example. Uh, the Hillary Clinton State Department back in the time of the uh, Egyptian color revolution in uh, uh, Tahrir Square, they the Arab Spring, so called. Uh, it was hardly a spring. There, you had uh, hundreds of thousands of students who really genuinely believed that they were on the streets to get rid of a military dictatorship under Mubarak and so forth. Uh, and the thing grew to a certain dimension that uh, Mubarak uh, stepped down, and uh, then the U.S. moved in to work with the various opposition groups that it had uh, encouraged. And then suddenly you had elections being called in 
a space of several months, and the only organized force that uh, was capable of waging the national campaign was the Muslim Brotherhood. Hillary Clinton and the whole agenda of the Greater Middle East uh, Project back then of the U.S. was to bring the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in these uh, Arab countries into power, and through that, the CIA channels, the Saudi channels, and so forth, hopefully they thought, uh, would be able to make them into puppet regimes of Washington. And uh, that didn't happen for various reasons. Uh, Mohammed Morsi was forced out in a, let's call it what it was, it was a military uh, putsch by al-Sisi. But uh, the idea was never to install democracy. It was to use the banner of democracy to deceive people into making these mass protests and then uh, bringing in who they wanted. And that's uh, it's pretty ugly stuff. Yeah, no, no. The, the Egypt is a whole story within a story. A lot of people aren't aware. Yeah. There were two Arab Springs in Egypt. There was the uh, the original uh, uh, protest to oust Mubarak in January 2011, and there was the second one, uh, which I believe was in um, uh, June of 2013. Uh, and so, and that ousted the Muslim Brotherhood, the Morsi government as well, and yeah. and yeah. Saudi Saudi Arabia and the UAE were hugely behind that, pumping money into... They, they, they were shipping the banners in English, um, had all the printing done, and it was there, more people came out for the second uh, uprising than the first. But what happened in the end, William? They didn't get the democracy they wanted. Uh, they only got change. Yeah. They only got change. They got change. Yeah. And I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think, Patrick, that uh, Washington was so clearly guiding that, but once a military dictatorship under al-Sisi came into power, they said, okay, uh, let's work to keep them on the plantation. Uh, uh, but they didn't get democracy anywhere near it. It's, uh, I had dinner last night with an Egyptian uh, businessman that I've known for years, and uh, he simply described it quite honestly. He said, it's a dictatorship, military dictatorship. And I have to do business with them, and it's not so easy. Yeah, and, and their economy is is still got all the same fundamental uh, structural problems that it had before 2011. That's not really changed yeah. at all. Uh, they've falling foul of major economic trends in the region. Uh, they're borrowing yeah. more. They're having to borrow money. They can't collect taxes. It's got one of the lowest tax collection rates of any modern, you know, modernized country. Um, they can't. No yeah. one wants to pay tax, <laughs> so the, the receipts are, are not much. But so, so the bottom line, you know, to 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 kick off a color revolution, William, uh, what I'm what I'm getting from your book is that you need you need a couple of things to happen, and it's not about the will of the people or the aspirations of the reformists, uh, revolutionaries, and so forth. You need money. You need lots of money from the outside. That's one thing I picked up. The other thing is you need media support or you need some kind of a media operation. Uh, and social yeah. media is an important part of that, which you said. And then you need crowd manipulation. Uh, so John McCain and other U.S., uh, I believe it's Congressman Murphy, I can't remember. The, they, they showed up with the right sector on, on, and Svoboda. They're there on stage in the Ukraine um, basically giving yeah. – American elected representatives are in the Ukraine giving speeches essentially to overthrow the government. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, Joe Biden played it. Joe, Joe Biden played a key role in that too as well, Patrick. Yeah. He was the middleman, wasn't he? He stabbed uh, Yanukovych yeah. in the back. 
he kept saying everything's yeah. going to be all right, everything's going to be all right. So he's on the phone with Yanukovych every other day, right? And then he's just plunged the knife into his back um, at the very yeah. end. But, so, and you need provocateurs as well. You need the shock troops in, to come in at the end to really stir up the uh, police and to create those violent clashes that make for the viral yeah. media images. So this, it, it, William, it's kind of a formula, really. It's, uh, it, it's a complicated formula. And it, it's not just one thing or two things. You need four, five, six, seven different things to work. Um, and is this yeah. is this why William that this was successful in some countries like the Ukraine, but but it wasn't successful in Syria, for instance. The Syria problematic is is uh, I would say yes, no. You know much more about Syria on the ground than than I do, certainly, but. Uh, uh, at a certain point, uh, Syrian intelligence, uh, as uh, weak as the country was, realized, I think, uh, what they were up against. But then all hell was thrown at them in terms of ISIS, al-Qaeda. The, the model was more based on Hillary Clinton's Gaddafi-Libya model. It was more a military solution because Syria was a much tougher nut to crack, uh, as Washington saw it. So... Uh, and then, of course, the intervention of uh, Russia militarily on, on request in September 2015 uh, changed the whole dynamic. There's a lot of talk right now, William, the, the next big one. What is the next big uh, uh, regime change push? What is the next big color revolution? A lot of people are talking about Iran. 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 Yeah. It's, Go ahead. Tell us about it. No, no question about it. Uh, they, uh, I angered some of my regular readers when I wrote a piece uh, some weeks ago in in uh, NEO, where I write regularly, uh, that uh, the currency crisis with the Iranian uh, real, the currency collapse, was being encouraged as a softening up uh, for color revolution regime change attempt and the sanctions, the breaking of the Iran nuclear agreement, uh, the sanctions are uh, designed to create in economic terms uh, the crisis that uh, is going to then see activation of, of uh, inside groups that were taken off the U.S. terrorism list like MEK, uh, who are simply terrorists, but uh, uh, so I think Iran is, is the next prime target. I think we had an Israeli official just a couple of days ago, um, advocating for exactly that, uh, William saying that Israel will, uh, work, uh, on the sort of covert end to create the conditions. This is an ex, uh, Mossad official, uh, and Saudi Arabia and the U S can help, uh, in this process. This was in the Jerusalem post, uh, to achieve. Uh-huh regime change and a color revolution in Iran. He said, we can deal with the threat itself. Um, however, uh, there's a major opening here. This is a situation that they can exploit. And he's basically going through step by step. So it's kind of out in the, kind of bizarre, William. This is out in the open. Um, they're, tr- they're trying to spook the Iranian uh, government, I think, to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is my guess. It's a big, it, it is a big danger. Uh, it's a big country. Uh, Iran is a physically, geographically, is a big country. There's a number of major cities. 
different regions. There are different ethnic and uh, sectarian um, uh, communities in that country as well that make up the rich tapestry that is Iran. Uh, and there, and there yeah. are there's a very rich political discourse in Iran. It's very sophisticated politically. There's a lot of democracy going on in Iran. It might not be the democracy the West wants uh, in terms of an open system that you can come in and manipulate at will. But there's there's yeah. a tradition of discourse there. Very healthy, William, in Iran. Um, but but that, yeah. can, that can be turned, that could be turned against the government as well with, with, with some effort, with some engineering. But what, what what do you think the prospects are uh, for an outside movement like that to push for uh, a regime change in Iran? It, how how easy or difficult do you think that would be? Very difficult. I think it's very difficult, but they're going to try with everything they've got. That's what I see now, because you've got John Bolton and uh, Pompeo and uh, these uh, characters in there calling the shots on the Trump administration, and you know they're quite open. They say it won't come to a military uh, encounter. I don't think because that it simply wouldn't have an effect. It would be catastrophe for the U.S. But uh, to come to a uh, you know chaos scenario, I think that's uh, that's what they're going to opt for through new swift sanctions and. Uh, uh, you know, weakening the currency and all sorts of things. The difference is that today Russia and China are much more engaged in Iran than they were in 2007, 2009, in that period when Ahmadinejad was being challenged by a color revolution. So uh, it's difficult to say. They're clearly doing some serious preparations for a major destabilization, regime change. Uh, uh, but I think chaos is what they want, economic chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and it is, William, it is a very different playing field today in 2018 than it was 10 years ago in twenty uh, in 2008 or, or 20 years ago in 1998. Uh, the United States, would you, yeah. would, you, would you agree that the U.S.'s position is, is very much, degre uh, it's degraded? Uh, from its former position in terms of influence uh, and other players have become stronger. Certainly I'm looking at the Astana process, uh, the Sochi process where you have Iran, Turkey, Russia working to seeming to work together towards some sort of a resolution uh, for the Syrian crisis and Syria itself uh, might come out of this a lot stronger in terms of its uh, relationships and in, in its allied relationships. Um, this is a very different Middle East, William, this is a very different Eurasia than was 10, 20. Yeah, I would agree very much, Patrick. And I would say it's a very different world because what you have with the unilateral breaking of the uh, nuclear treaty with Iran by Trump uh, administration, you have a situation where the European Union uh, is more distant from Washington than I've ever seen it in the post-1945 period. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's Europe is a vassal entity of, of NATO, uh, so it's not so easy to just say, okay, we're going to do this and this and this. But uh, it's really, I think the crucial showdown will be if U.S. pressure on the SWIFT interbank payment system in Belgium is going to succeed in 
breaking swift links for for Iranian banks like it did 2012 or or not. If the Europeans refuse to budge on that issue, uh, then it can become quite interesting. So it's a very different situation. Yeah, I noticed. Um, the U.S. is is playing the high risk poker here. They, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This I've never seen the United States and the EU not close um, together as they as they were before. Right now, they're really far apart. There's 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 a crack opening, William. And I, I believe we spoke about this before you came on. Russia has also seen this opportunity with Germany. Uh, and certainly there looks like some signs of very healthy relations between Germany and Russia. Would you, would you agree with that? The German industry would love in a second to renew the economic relations with Russia. They know exactly what's going on with these sanctions. Uh, the problem is Germany is an occupied country, and it's still occupied. And there are so many levers of control of Washington, the CIA, the NSA. You know, the NSA monitored the uh, cell phone of, of uh, Angela Merkel several years ago. So this is uh, it's difficult. You know, the pressure points, for example, the sanctions on Iran. The secondary sanctions are, are the real killer on this because if the European Union has this uh, blocking resolution and uh, let's say that the uh, Siemens, a huge company that's involved in power projects and uh, many big industrial things in, in Iran, let's say that they get encouraged by their government to uh, you know, to continue doing business with Iran or, or Airbus, the huge European airplane maker, uh, billions of dollars involved here. And then Washington says, oh, you're doing business with Iran. U.S. policy means that you can't do business in the United States. And I can tell you, the German government is not about to uh, indemnify Siemens or Airbus for billions of dollars. They just they, they, they couldn't handle it. Right. So, so you're so saying it's, too it's, much trouble it, it, to be caught up in the courts with the United States over their U.S. businesses. The U.S. can still attack companies that are trading in the U.S., right, international companies. Well, that's the divide. Yeah, that's the diabolical thing of these secondary sanctions. And this is a new element that uh, is uh, really, really uh, nasty. It's, it's just, it just violates international law, the principles of the World Trade Organization, as rotten as the WTO is. It, it's, but the uh, U.S. doesn't care anymore. Yeah. So this, so this, this is going to be interesting, uh, William, for sure. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, um, this is slightly off topic, but I really want to ask you because you did kind of allude uh, a little bit to the emergence of Asia, of China, of the Belt, Belt and Road Project. Uh, is is Germany yeah. is Germany not the the one European country that could really capitalize on the the one belt one road initiative? I mean, Germany is so well positioned to really oh. explode from this opportunity. And it, is this something the United States is trying to keep from happening? Do you think? Yeah, very much so. The, Germany is even being threatened to to build a second parallel gas pipeline from. Russia to, to northern Germany because uh, the, the U.S. is against it. <laughs> so uh, 
the the Silk Road, the Belt Road Initiative of Beijing, which is a brilliant project. It has potential to lift Europe and uh, Eurasia out of out of uh, economic misery in the next twenty to thirty years. Uh, High-speed rail links, deep water ports, uh, uh, electricity connections, uh, energy pipelines, and so forth. It's huge. Germany, German industry would love to get involved in that, uh, as far as I can tell. But the the government is uh, against it. They say, well, it's not transparent. You know? But that's, uh, I think, very much the U.S. pressure. Yeah. Okay, well, that that's we're gonna we're gonna break there, uh, but but I want to just give a, a shout to your book once again. Uh, there's a link on the show page. The book is called Manifest Destiny: Democracy as Cognitive Dissonance. This lays out the whole NGO complex uh, very succinctly. This is a book by F. William Engdahl, our guest today on the Sunday Wire. Fantastic uh, book, William, and we do encourage people to go and buy this book uh, because this is essential in your toolbox uh, to educate yourself as to what exactly uh, your governments are doing with public money and around the world. So uh, our hat's off to you, William, for this uh, fantastic latest book. Thank you very much, Patrick. And uh, we hope to speak to you again soon. And there's a link to your uh, website as well. Uh, F. William Engdahl's blog, uh, is, there's a link to that on the show page as well. So go check out William. He's got a number of other titles you might want to go look at too, which I would also encourage to consider uh, purchasing for your book, an education collection, as I like to call it. Uh, but uh, anyway, take care, William, and uh, all the best. We hope. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. We hope to speak to you soon. Yeah. Okay, and if it, people go on my website and uh, they'll get a notice to subscribe to my free regular geopolitical newsletter, which has uh, excerpts from my writings over over the past uh, oh, 10, 12 years, and uh, also from some of the books. So that's available as well. Yeah, you can go check free. that out. Yep. <laughs> It'll pop yeah. up. It'll pop up on the screen as soon as you go to William's blog. You'll get a, a an alert to sign up for his uh, free newsletter. So please do go. WilliamMangdahl.com. Yeah, there it is on the link right now on the show page. Uh, go check it out, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, all the best, William. Take care. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, you too. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. F. William Engdahl, author of Manifest Destiny: Democracy is Cognitive Dissonance. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to connect our next guest. We'll have a little bit of a, a interlude, and then we'll connect Treka in Damascus in a couple of minutes. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. I'm here in studio with Mike Robinson. This is the Sunday Wire. Stick around. We'll be back after this commercial break. Hi, I'm Patrick Henningsen, host of the Sunday Wire, and you are listening to the Alternate Current Radio Network. 